Hey everyone, so originally I was going to release a full-length episode where I cover a number of different topics, but that's while I was still under the illusion that I only had one or two uh, quick corrections to issue or take care of regarding that recent Sons of Sam review episode. And this happens a lot. I tend to catch mistakes while I'm putting together the YouTube version of the show, because the uh, the sausage, the vegan sausage, is made thusly. First, I record the audio-only version of the podcast. Then I take that audio, slap it into iMovie, and that's usually a long, arduous slog as I carefully listen back to the audio bit by bit and search the web for images related to whatever it is I'm talking about in that moment, or take screenshots of information, you know, pertaining to what I'm talking about. And then I couple and align those visuals with the audio track. And so, as you can probably imagine, it's kind of like researching the episode all over again as I search the web for images and info, and often I'll have this kind of oh shit moment where I stumble upon something during that process that contradicts something I said on the show. And when that happens, I'll usually, and this is what I did with the video version of that Sons of Sam episode I just released, I'll add captions or title cards alerting people to the fact that I messed up, along with a correction or clarification. But I usually feel like that's not enough. I hate the idea of putting bad information out there. So I'll also, of course, issue a correction, usually at the beginning of the next episode I record. If the errors are egregious or big enough, and I've done this a couple of times before in the past, I'll actually just pull the episode and re-up a corrected or revised version. But in fairness, most of the errors in that Sons of Sam episode are pretty minor, to the point where you might even think I'm being a bit nitpicky, uh, obsessive or neurotic, even bothering to include them. But there's enough of them that I thought I might as well just dedicate a kind of mini-episode to correcting them. And so maybe I'll start in order of severity. Uh, the mistake that worried me the most, because I think it had the biggest potential to be unintentionally misleading or to confuse or obscure the facts of the case, was an error I made regarding David Berkowitz's car. David Berkowitz drove a four-door Ford Galaxy, and I claimed or stated, uh, at least twice I think in the episode, that it was yellow. And ironically, it was my own desire to do my due diligence that was kind of my undoing here. I had been somewhat confused or uncertain as to what color Berkowitz's car was. I knew that a yellow car other than Berkowitz's, a yellow Volkswagen, had been spotted at at least one of the crime scenes. In fact, a yellow Volkswagen had been spotted and chased at or near the scene of the Moskowitz shooting. The show includes news clips of anchors or reporters talking about how witnesses had seen a yellow Volkswagen and NYPD detective Kevin Murphy, who had been working with investigative journalist Maury Terry, who believed Berkowitz hadn't been acting alone, had discovered that someone he believed to be connected to Berkowitz in the Untermeyer Park group actually lived in Berkowitz's building and, yep, drove a yellow Volkswagen. 
But like I was saying, I wasn't sure what color Berkowitz's own vehicle was, so before recording the episode and attempt to get my proverbial ducks in a row, I did a quick search just to double check, and I stumbled upon a couple of sources that claim Berkowitz's Ford Galaxy was yellow, and I wanted to include a picture of the parking summons or ticket that led to Berkowitz's arrest or capture in the YouTube version, and so I find a picture of the ticket, and for context, I had already published the audio version by this point. And so I drag it onto my desktop, double-click on the image, and I'm like, oh shit. Right there, as clear as day, it lists the color of the vehicle as white. But maybe the truth is somewhere in between. And it's funny, I went to school for graphic design and had to study color theory and everything. Does white and yellow get you cream? I don't know. Because even though the ticket says white, a number of sources describe the vehicle as being a cream color. And in a number of the color pictures you can find online, it does look like his car was this kind of off-white cream color. And so that brings up questions like, were witnesses who reported seeing a yellow car, seeing Berkowitz's cream-colored Ford Galaxy and were just mistaken about the color, or maybe it kind of looked yellow in the artificial glow of streetlights or whatever, or were they actually seeing a separate vehicle, this purported yellow Volkswagen, possibly belonging to an accomplice? But as I said, I think that's probably the worst or most consequential of the mistakes, and hopefully that helps clear clear that up, and uh, my apologies for being off the mark with that one. Okay, so next, I went off script at one point and quickly googled Robert de Grimston, the co-founder of the Process Church of the Final Judgment, to double-check if he was still alive or not, which he is, at the ripe old age of 85, I believe. But I claimed he was living in Shanghai, China, which for all I know could be true, but probably not. Although I have to admit I kind of wished it was so I didn't have to eat crow and issue this correction. But I saw Shanghai in his biography and foolishly assumed it meant that's where he presently resides. But no, he was born in Shanghai. And while we're on the subject, there were a couple of other corrections or clarifications I wanted to take care of regarding the so-called process, short for the Process Church of the Final Judgment. I claimed that there was video or footage in the Sons of Sam documentary series of members of the process dressed in all black walking German shepherds, and I'll chalk this one up to the faulty nature of human memory, or at least the faulty nature of my memory. But someone mentions in the series that there was supposedly this thing where members of the process did bring German shepherds with them when they were walking out and about in public. And while they're talking about this, they show an image of what I'm guessing are members of the church or cult, walking dogs. But the individuals in the picture aren't wearing all black and it looks like not all the dogs they're walking are German shepherds. And there are pictures of de Grimston and cult members wearing all black or black and purple, but not all the members, nor even de Grimston himself, always wore black, so I just wanted to further correct that. There's actually footage from de Grimston's appearance on some kind of a talk show, and he's still got the goatee and the long dark hair and a ponytail, but he's wearing a kind of ordinary light-colored short-sleeve button-up shirt with a collar, like you'd see some stereotypical nerd or computer tech guy wearing. Not quite as imposing. It's like, oh shit, my robes are at the cleaners. 
And I know I mentioned my quote-unquote BS detector a lot in that episode, but this touches on another thing that made my antenna go up. They keep emphasizing the German Shepherd angle, and yet, as I said, the dogs in the picture they show, I believe it's actually an image from a newspaper, and the title reads, The Satan Worshippers Bring in Their Friends. Bring their friends where? Are they getting groomed? Are they getting fixed? I don't know. But as I said, not all the dogs in the image are German Shepherds, and when they're talking about the dead dogs in the Untermeyer Park area. I believe they refer to them as having been German Shepherds, and yet at least one dog, you know, dead dog they show an image of, clearly appears, despite the partial decomposition, to be a different breed. It appears to be a white dog of some kind, uh, and I just went back and rewatched the part of the series where they talk about the processed church. Well, maybe you can, maybe there are white German Shepherds, I don't know, to be fair. Anyway, um, where was I? Oh yeah, I rewatched the part of the series where they talk about the process church and Paul Giamatti while narrating. And I don't know if these were Maury Terry's own words or not, but he does clearly state or claim in an attempt to connect the process's seeming affinity for German shepherds to Berkowitz and the Son of Sam case that the dogs killed near Berkowitz. Did I just say dogs? That's beyond New England. That's that's like New York, which in ways appropriate enough. And no offense to New Yorkers, I have friends and listeners out there, and uh, we're, we're Northeast brethren. We both have kind of similar accents. Anyway, but yeah, it, it states that the dogs killed near Berkowitz and quote-unquote sacrificed by the Untermeyer Park group in Yonkers and in Minot, North Dakota, were German shepherds. And I don't think I mentioned this in the review, but there was a newspaper story from back in the day about children discovering three dead dogs, dogs, behind Berkowitz's apartment building. Oh my god. Who I don't believe in. And no, I'm not laughing at the dogs. You guys know what an animal lover I am. I'm laughing at myself and the folly and absurdity of existence as a whole. Um, okay. But in fairness to the series regarding the quote-unquote non-German Shepherd images, uh, maybe those were just the best images they could scrape up, and the lack of more convincing or relevant images doesn't necessarily mean that the show's claims are wrong or that the processed church of the final judgment didn't have this weird German Shepherd fixation. Because they do show an image of a processed church flyer or pamphlet with a picture of a German shepherd on it, as well as another image, which I assume is also associated with the process, of a child posing with a German shepherd with a quote from the book of Genesis reading, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was good. But while I'm talking about Untermeyer Park, I repeatedly made the mistake of referring to the old Croton, not old Crouton, aqueduct as the old Croton aqueducts, plural. I think what confused me was they described it as a tunnel system, which for whatever reason, rightly or wrongly, made me think that there were multiple tunnels. And then secondly, the estate called Untermeyer Park is known for its gardens and fountains and that kind of thing, and I thought I saw images of multiple above-ground channels carrying water, 
Maybe they were part of a fountain or garden display? I don't know. To be honest, watching the series was my first introduction to the old Croton Aqueduct slash Untermeyer Park area, so I was just doing my best to kind of construct an image of the layout in my head based on the information given in the series. I actually found a pretty cool little map or diagram of the area online, which I wish I had found prior to recording. It definitely gives you a much clearer idea of the area. So I said aqueducts instead of aqueduct. Singular. Not that bad as far as mistakes go. Relatively trivial, but I wanted to correct it anyway. Then there was one thing I wanted to go over that I don't think I would categorize as a mistake, but it was nevertheless something I wanted to revisit. It's the whole weird thing with John Carr's name. John had a sister named Wheat Carr. Wheat was or is. I think she's still among the living. In fact, I think uh, she was interviewed for another Son of Sam documentary. Uh, but Wheat was her first name. And then strangely, John was often referred to as John Wheat Carr. As I said in the episode, almost as if Wheat was another, you know, family surname, John Wheat Carr. And Maury's friend, who they interview for the series, I believe his name is Charlie Ott, claims that kids used to tease John in school, tauntingly referring to him as Wheaties. And Charlie claims this was because of his sister's first name, Wheat. And I'm thinking, that sounds off. If they used to tease him in school because of his sister's name, why would he then adopt his sister's first name, Wheat, as his middle name? I could see if the nickname Wheaties might have continued to haunt him. Sometimes childhood nicknames just seem to stick. And in fact, Maury posits that the moniker John Wheaties in one of the Son of Sam letters is a reference to John Carr. Um, but how would childhood teasing lead to his having the formal name or formal sounding name, John Wheat Carr? It seems very strange. Did the parents give Wheat both as a first name to the daughter and as a middle name to John? I don't know. In the series, they show a phone book which lists his name as John Wheat Carr, technically formatted as Carr John Wheat, given the fact that phone books list the last name first. Probably didn't have to you know, specify that for you. But then the death notice or obituary in the uh, paper, you know, after his suicide, lists his middle initial as C. John C. Carr. So, who the hell knows? Oh, and speaking of the Carr family, this is another relatively minor mistake. When I was reading from one of the Son of Sam letters, I read a certain line as, in quotes, Sam loves to drink, when it should actually be, in quotes, Sam loves to drink blood. I'm guessing the real Sam Carr didn't actually drink blood, at least I hope not, but apparently the fictitious version living inside Berkowitz's head, be it a conscious invention or a psychotic delusion, did. Blood for Papa. Papa, can you hear me? And then also... <laughs> And then I also got the name of Maury Terry's book wrong. I said The Ultimate Evil, An Investigation into America's Most Dangerous Satanic Cult. What a long title. It's actually An Investigation of America's Most Dangerous Satanic Cult. And then another minor one. I had been quoting this kind of humorous headline that came out in the wake of Maury Terry's, I think, first interview with uh, Berkowitz, or maybe it was the second. I'm trying not to have to issue another correction. Um, but the headline expressed skepticism, you know, towards Berkowitz's claim that there was a cult and that he wasn't working alone. And I said that the headline read, 
Sam's a sham. I also love Son of Scam. Uh, but I guess it was actually Sam the Sham. Minor difference, same sentiment, I would say. I think, I hope, that's it for the Sons of Sam corrections. I have to admit it's an awful feeling when I realize after I've put a lot of hard work into something and uploaded it to the internet, you know, to suddenly realize after the fact that there's an error or errors, plural. It can be very demoralizing, but I'm actually feeling pretty good, even inspired. I've decided to use it as an excuse to do something, you know, with the show that I've been wanting to do for a while. I think I'll probably call it T-Wid. Always feel a little weird referring to the show as T-Wid, like I'm trying to be cool and give it some cutesy or trendy little name or acronym. Um, but I want to do this thing called T-Wid Revisited, where I either re-release a revised version of a past episode with corrections, or just revisit an old episode from way back in the show catalog, and see how my current views stack up against those of my past self from back when the episode was first recorded. So instead of getting bummed out by my mistakes, I can try to accept, as the hackneyed saying goes, that to err is human. And, uh, you know, I can use it as an excuse or impetus to do something interesting with the show. And speaking of the show, I had mentioned on the most recent Patreon bonus show that for a bit there, I had been experiencing a kind of uncharacteristic lack of motivation that there was all this show-related content that I did sincerely want to work on, but I just found myself dragging my feet and feeling stuck in this vicious cycle of guilt and procrastination. I would say I'll work on it tonight after work, or I'll get it done this week. And when the days or weeks went by without my keeping my word to myself and getting whatever it was done, the more guilty, ineffective, and hopelessly stuck I felt. But I remembered something I took away from this book on cognitive behavioral therapy I had read, that you can't just sit around waiting until you feel motivated. It's action that breeds motivation, meaning, you know, as hard as it may seem, once you force yourself to just take that first step and start digging in to the task or project, you'll probably find you actually, you know, really enjoy it and find yourself wondering why you put it off in the first place. And you'll probably also feel inspired to keep going. And so I kicked myself in the ass, sat down in my computer chair, and recorded a Patreon bonus show. And speaking of that, those Patreon bonus episodes are usually 100% unscripted, and the editing is very minimal, uh, because I'm intentionally trying to create a more relaxed or conversational atmosphere, albeit one-sided, because technically I'm the one doing all the talking. But hopefully you get my point. Uh, and I decided to take that approach because in the past, certain listeners, some, some of them uh, Patreon supporters, have told me what they like about the show, or what makes it different in their view is that it almost feels like you're listening to someone, you know, think out loud. And that they, you know, like listening to my stream of consciousness and seeing where it goes. Or that the unscripted episodes feel more authentic and sincere. And it kind of makes them feel like, you know, they're just hanging out with a friend or something like that. 
and I felt pretty confident while recording that most recent bonus episode that I had a nice conversational flow to my speech, but after uploading it and listening back to it the next day in my car, I was horrified by all the ums and ahs and awkward pauses. So my apologies to all the Patreon people out there. Uh, the bonus episodes are meant to be an award or a show of gratitude for supporting the show, so hopefully it didn't feel like more of a punishment. Award or reward, which is more appropriate? Anyway, it, maybe I was being too hard on myself, though, or unintentionally over-exaggerating the extent of my procrastination, because in fairness to myself, over the course of the past several weeks, I was really picking away at that uh, Sons of Sam episode. I was watching the series multiple times through, taking detailed notes, etc., and I think I just felt like I wasn't moving fast enough. And it's funny, I was talking about pushing through my procrastination. Well, in the lead up to my completion of that Sons of Sam review episode, you know, every night after work, then all that weekend, I just worked feverishly on hammering all my notes into a script. That episode is probably about 85% scripted. That's a pretty specific number, but feels, <laughs> feels about right. And that weekend was brutally hot here in New England. And uh, a lesson I learned early, you know, early on when just starting out as a podcaster is that you always want to eliminate as much background noise as possible, including any unnecessary electronics, because a decent microphone will pick up everything, even the whirring of a, you know, an external hard drive, not to mention all your gross little mouth noises, which I've been struggling with lately. Because the medication I'm on not only gives me brain fog, but it dries the hell out of my mouth, too. I'm trying not to talk about it too much on the show. Uh, but eliminating background noise, unfortunately, also means killing the air conditioning, you know? So it was brutal. All of uh, Saturday and all of Sunday, I was propped in front of my computer, finally recording the script for the Sons, uh, that Sons of Sam episode. No air conditioning, damp with sweat, the electronics necessary for recording, computer, monitor, etc., emitting heat. Because my mouth is so, you know, dry and it's harder to enunciate on this stuff I'm taking, if you're new to the show, it's an old antidepressant called amitriptyline that I've been taking as a daily migraine preventative. But, you know, because it's more difficult to speak and the mic is picking up all my little mouth noises, I sometimes end up recording the same sentence like seven times. And then sometimes, you know, it's brutal. You'll think you're fi you finally nailed it. You're like, yes, I can tell that was a perfect take, perfect enunciation, no gross little clicks or whatever. Then you listen back and there's some kind of, you know, random, com random computer glitch mid-sentence and you have to do it all over again. And it's like, uh, you know, you just want to bounce your head off the desk and throw your computer out the window. And I'm not trying to make everyone feel sorry for me or give the impression I don't like doing the show. I actually have a good sense of humor about it, as you can probably tell. And I absolutely love doing the show, which is why I care so much. And this show is my passion, and I'll probably always do this show. It's become a part of me, you know, a part of who I am, and it lets me connect with others and share my thoughts. And, uh, you know, I want to deliver as good a show as possible. 
But I'm feeling pretty good about where I am with the show after kicking myself in the ass. I'm back to finding time every night after coming home from my shitty day job. Uh, sorry for all the swearing to work on the show. I've even been working on the show during my lunch break at work, an old habit that I kind of slipped away from for a while there. And uh, I have a whole list of, you know, episode ideas I want to tackle. So stay tuned and thanks for listening, you know, and or watching.